Hey, the start of something special right here, man. Let's go. Number one fantasy player right here. Got past the line. Shut up. Know the rules. I just want to say this to you. Right now, best in the game. I know. Hey everyone, welcome to the PAT Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Mackins, and I am joined, as always, by my host, Sam Hoppen. Hello! How you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I've been better, but I'm good today. I'm excited. We're going to go through uh, wide receivers today. Uh, this is, you know, fantasy football in general. I think the closer and closer we get to draft day, the more and more I'm just focused in. I was watching Game Pass. <laughs> it was just crazy to say in, like, the last day of June, like, that we're already, like, yeah. itching to draft. But... Yeah, I was about to complain that we're already halfway through the year, but that said, that means we're even closer to the start of football and fantasy football. So I have no complaints whatsoever yeah let's fucking go (laughs) all right so we are going to start off with our kickoff question and then dive into wide receivers as we have for all the other position groups so far so let's jump right into that and this game is underway uh this is one that sam came up with and i think it's a really uh cool one uh if you could be in a group chat with any two nfl execs so GMs, head coaches, owners, etc. Who would you choose? And I'll let you and uh, go first, Sam. I mean, I think the obvious choice here is John Gruden <laughs> and Mark Davis. Like, who wouldn't want to be in a group chat with those two guys just to see what the hell is going on in their mind and what's going on on a daily basis? I mean, not that you're necessarily in their head, but just to be able to talk with them and figure out how their mind is spinning, I think would be absolutely phenomenal. And I think, you know, if, if you if you really wanted some good insights and real football talk, then I think Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman is the way to go. I, I, I've just been very impressed with the way that they've managed the Eagles the past couple of years with the Super Bowl win and Wentz and Foles and all that sort of stuff. I I've been very impressed with their management from a football perspective, but again, from a, a real-life perspective, I, I'd love to have Gruden and Mark Davis's <laughs> number. Yeah, that'd be good, especially seeing like their reactions to what Hard Knocks looks like in August as well. Um, so I took this a bit of a different route. I, I think yours is smart from the standpoint of like, okay, these GMs and execs, like if they're in the group chat, they're actually going to talk to each other if they're on the same team, whereas for me... I that might be less of a possibility because no one wants to share any of their secrets once they're on separate teams. But I thought of a duo that I thought would at least be closer together. Um, and that's Frank Reich and Doug Peterson. So Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles during their Super Bowl run. And Doug Peterson being the head coach there, obviously. And I, I was interested in a few different things here to see like if I could... Uh, you know, peer into their genius really from an offensive standpoint, how they're able to coach up players so quickly and kind of turn around a franchise, make it successful. Doug Peterson is from the Andy Reid coaching tree as well. He's um, from Green Bay too. Well, yeah. I guess he coached well, he was, in Green Bay. He was, yeah, he's like a backup quarterback to oh, Brett Favre too. before. I think he started in the like Andy Reid, maybe Mike Holmgren coaching tree of sorts. Fun it's fact, funny. I actually played basketball against Doug Peterson's son. Oh, crazy. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah. The other fun, second fun fact is that 
in Pop Warner. I distinctly remember one of our like end of the season banquets. He was like the speaker. And so this was in, we were in the age of participation trophies already. So everyone in the league got a plastic trophy um, but and like a certificate of like accomplishment with Doug Peterson's signature on it. So I should, I probably don't have that anymore. So I can't like <laughs> dig it up and sell it on eBay or anything. But uh, besides that fun fact, I just, I think these would be some offensive minds to really dig into um, potential from that Andy Reid coaching tree, like Brett Favre stories. Uh, plus I just need Frank Reich to validate my, um, me dying on the Marlon Mack Hill this season. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good and, point. And that is something that we'll, we'll dive into, not in this episode because it's wide receivers, but I'll, I will definitely be bringing up Marlon Mack again. All right, so now we are going to jump into the wide receiver position. Again, we're looking at these players through a half PPR lens, and that that's kind of the basis for everything just to keep us you know grounded in our uh, comparing wide receivers against each other. And we can talk about PPR and standard as we compare wide receivers to running backs in future episodes. Uh, but really, we're going to start off as we always do with the you know strategy, and then dive into players that we're targeting or avoiding. So, the the first question Sam got here is how badly do we want one of those top tier wide receivers? Yeah, so I think I mean the top running backs are the I mean it's again we've mentioned them before: Elliott, Barkley, McCaffrey, Kamara. Those are basically consensus the top four picks in the draft but after that it's a little bit different for each person so I'm just curious to know like from your perspective after those top four are you going for a Hopkins Adams Julio type player or do you want to try and get a Connor Lev Bell David Johnson type player who has the potential to be that running back one overall and potentially win you your league or go with a little bit more of the consistency that you get in a top wide receiver because we've seen on a year-to-year basis the top guys are staying the top guys I mean for the past five years it's been Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, I mean Michael Thomas now, Devontae Adams I mean those guys generally always stay at the top once they're up there. Once they're sure. up there. I mean, I think, so you get a f- pretty high floor from taking those guys. And they, I mean, they have the weekly ceiling of 30, 35 points as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't, on a season overall, you're not maybe getting the ceiling that you could get from the number one overall running back. Yeah, I think for me, it's always the, and I mentioned this in our last episode too on running backs when I was talking about avoiding like David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell is there's obvious upside in those guys, you know, passing up any of those top wide receivers because they can encompass like an entire running game and part of the passing game in terms of the volume that they're going to see. But I really like the consistency of those top tier wide receivers and knowing that there's a lot less downside um, just from thinking of like past years of teams that I've had like it was really nice to have like Kareem Hunt and Joe Mixon on a team um, before Hunt got suspended but and, and having that position kind of really set in stone yeah but really what sticks out in my mind is just the being trying to find a legitimate wide receiver two to put in my lineup was a real headache and I feel like 
it's just easier to find someone else who can fill the void on the running back side if you and just lock in the wide receiver position. So I'm definitely like right now I'm even looking at like you, you said top tier wide receivers after those first four running backs, I kind of look at Hopkins, Adams, and even Julio as like the next three guys I would probably take. Yeah. Um, it's close between like a Melvin Gordon and, uh, and some of the other running backs that come up next, but running backs just seem, you know, based on the position they play, they're more fragile too. Right. right. So if you're looking at one guy who you're going to pick, who's going to, you're going to ride the entire season, and not get injured up towards the end of the year after all that wear and tear, I'd look at a wide receiver. Yeah, and that's a good point. I'll I'll plug an article that I wrote a couple of weeks ago just comparing the level of risk of running backs versus receivers. And running backs are riskier because, again, of the fact that they're more injury-prone, they're touching the ball many more times than a wide receiver is. They play, on average, two games less per year than a top wide receiver. So... I think if you are more risk averse, going wide receiver is that's me the way to go. And again, you're you're getting more consistent targets from those top wide receivers on a week to week basis. It's it's so much tougher to. I mean, you 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 have these breakout wide receivers each year that go off in the second half of the season or for stretches at a time, but mm. to be able to put again, these same guys that we've mentioned into your lineup and know that they're going to get eight to 10 targets a week and just be consistent for you. And I, I, it's, I think it's easier to find a running back midway through the season that eventually has the potential to be putting up top five weeks. Which comes back to that like zero RB strategy is like, you don't have to go full zero RB, but if you went like two or three wide receivers first and you have like, you know, maybe not the top running back, but a solid one or two guys in there, if they don't hit, you'll more easily find someone, I think, that can fill that void later on. Yeah, I think the other thing too is just the fact that you know, obviously you're not guaranteed to get that breakout guy. I mean, last like Nick Chubb last year or Alvin Kamara the year before, but, you know, some people might already have them on their roster or things like that. So, yes, those come up a little bit more frequently, and you're not guar- but you're not guaranteed to get that guy necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think the other counter-argument then to wide receiver is there are many more wide receivers – that have the potential in any given week to have a 100-yard, two-touchdown game compared to the subset of running backs that have the potential to get 100 rushing yards and two touchdowns, if you just sort of look at it that way. Yeah. I mean, I I think the way I look at it is on a week-to-week basis, you might not know whether a wide receiver is going to get those consistent targets like you mentioned, like a wide receiver could go on a stretch where, yeah, they're getting like six, eight targets three weeks in a row, and then the next week it could, could jump down just based right. on matchup or game plan. Whereas like a running back who you know is like the starter that week, that's a guy who's going to get you, like you're looking for that 10 to 15 carry range, especially if like you can kind of lower your expectations at running back if you know you've got these studs at wide receiver and tight end like locked in already. But Speaking of those studs, we want to talk about some of them, some guys that we think we want to, uh, that are going to be studs this upcoming season. That's why we'd be targeting them. And maybe some guys who were studs last year, but we want to avoid them 
uh, this year. So let's jump into that. I think one guy who was a stud last year, um, Tyreek Hill. I We don't really know anything about his suspension impending or not at this point, so I don't really think we need to cover him yet. Yeah, I mean, I, the more and more I hear, it sounds likely that he's going to play for part of this season. So I was just curious, you know, if let's say he, for whatever reason, doesn't get a suspension, where are you ranking him? I mean, is he, is he a first round pick for you? And then, I mean, I think, I think it's worth talking about because yeah. he does have such a big impact. And let's say, you know, maybe it's a six game suspension, which is about what you sort of would expect a six or eight game suspension because just based on what Kareem Hunt got and other players as well. I mean, I'll get on my high horse, not high horse, but what's the word I'm looking for? Soapbox? Soapbox, yeah. And <laughs> say it's just sort of ridiculous that he hasn't gotten a suspension yet, period. I mean, I don't, this is more of a personal thing, but I don't think he should be playing at all this year. The fact that Josh Gordon is suspended indefinitely and yeah, Tyreek yeah. Hill isn't yet, I think is just... Ridiculous, but I digress. I think the way I've sort of looked at it, because Tyreek Hill is such a monster when it comes right. to fantasy football, I sort of think of it as, and this is no hard and fast rule, but okay, if he had no suspension at all, I'd be taking him in the first round. Yeah. And then sort of for every two games that he's going to be missing, maybe drop it like a round and a half or something like that. Because mm -hmm. if he's missing, say, four games... I'm willing to take him in late third, early fourth, because again, I don't think that's a ton that you're missing out yeah. on. And he's going to be scoring just as many points as the receivers you're taking then, just yeah. over 12 games instead of the full 16. Yeah, it will be interesting because, I mean, right now I actually just don't even have him on my rankings. Um, and a lot of people don't. And I, so. I'm doing that based on the fact that I just, you know, they haven't ruled on a suspension yet because I don't think they've gathered as much evidence as they think they need to to make a, a definitive ruling but in any case like I've thought of the Adrian Peterson like he was out for a year based on what he right like the, what had gone on with him and his child so that's why I just assume like he's gonna be out for the year but the more and more it sounds like oh he's only going to be suspended a handful of games then you do decide like okay well how long do you want to hold on to him and then get that production I think a lot of it comes down to how your draft feels already too. Yeah. Cause like if I've already got, if I like where my draft is going and I've got like three solid guys that I love, then of course in the fourth round, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to take the risk on Hill. Even if we didn't know the suspension yet, probably. Yeah. And then you're just like putting your team over the top. Like if you know, you can win early with what you got and you're confident in that, then just get this extra piece. That's going to put you over the top. Like, get you a championship because yeah. you know like Bruce Arian says no risk it no biscuit so <laughs> I, you do have to take some risks some places and he could pay off enormously like even like the year Zeke Elliott got suspended it was six games but you had him for the beginning of the season you did, just didn't know when you were going to lose him and he was getting drafted at like the end of the first round instead of the beginning of the right. first round and I think a lot of people just assumed he was going to get suspended at some point even when they were drafting him yeah so like it's, I think it's a worthwhile discussion again because players yeah. get suspended all the time. So how do you how do you take that discount in weekly production into account on a season long basis? Right. Because you are 
you know you're not going to have this player for four to six games yeah. or whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people say the best ability is availability. Yeah. So if, if you want your full roster to be available, then don't draft him, don't draft Kareem Hunt. But obviously there are uh, potential points to be had there. So. I, I will say I would, I would rather take a flyer on someone who's suspended than someone who's like coming off an injury and they're already saying he's going to be out the first two or three weeks because Ugh, yeah. that's an estimation and you don't know if he's going to be out two weeks, four weeks, or the entire season. So just something to consider. But before we get into our targets and avoids for wide receiver, I want to play a quick game just to gauge your sense on sort of whether you'd have whether you'd rather have a wide receiver on maybe a below average offense or a team where this wide receiver one isn't necessarily the the top target overall or have a wide receiver two on a team that's an above average offense because again that's it's sort of the i guess late wide receiver twos early wide receiver threes where you get into this discussion yeah so i'm going to name a couple off here and i'm curious to hear what your choice would be and i'll and i'll give you my feedback as well but first one is going to be all sean jeffrey versus mike williams yeah so i'll I'll do quick hits on these i would say in this scenario mike williams uh, part of that is because of jeffrey's injury concerns and uh, they, they've got a few other guys coming in there at, at Philly. So I don't even see Alshon Jeffrey as like the number one pass catcher. It's more likely Zach Ertz. So I think that helps my decision making as well. Um, so and Mike Williams is one of those, you know, potential breakout candidates. So that's why I go with him. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you. I Williams has some regression coming in the touchdown department, I believe, yeah. with the 10 touchdowns he had last year. But I would expect the receptions and receiving yards to fully oh, outweigh wow. that. And again, Alshon Jeffrey's been, and we'll talk about it more in a couple because he's one of my avoid spoiler, but he just hasn't been healthy. All right, well, let's get into our next duo. So the next one is going to be Corey Davis versus Jarvis Landry. Where do you land on those two? So I'll dive deeper into this later in the episode, but I'm going to go with Corey Davis and this isn't like in a vacuum this is like based on the value too so this is a where I see a guy who has a lot of opportunity because he's the number one wide receiver to have better stats than Landry at the end of the season um but obviously Landry's going higher in most drafts to be fair he has had a lot of opportunity over the past several years to break out as the number one wide receiver and he hasn't done that but I, I I I mean it's a fair point to make. I mean that's why his draft stock, stock has dropped so much because people are done expecting him to do that. So if he actually does that, I mean he's he's sort of becoming the Devontae Parker of the Tennessee Ugh, Titans. Don't, don't you dare <laughs> put those two names together. I mean I, I'm still going with Corey Davis as well because okay. he's going a little bit later, but I I think the usage of Jarvis Landry at the end of last year was a bit telling in the fact that he didn't get quite as many targets as he initially had. So I think we're both in the same boat, but we'll wrap up with our final pairing of Sterling Shepard versus Will Fuller. Yeah. So just from looking at like my positional rankings, I know I have Will Fuller higher because he's had crazy efficiency when he's actually on the field. 
but this is where my brain starts to like trick itself because I'm thinking like, okay, well, if Sterling Shepard is the number one, wouldn't he be the better? Like you want to get as many like number one or alphas on a team as possible. Like this messed me up last year because I picked, I drafted Chris Hogan over Juju Smith-Schuster, which is really painful to say. If you if you turn off the podcast at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but on a lesser scale, we mentioned, um, or I you had mentioned to me when we were talking about this offline, is that you had drafted like Kelvin Benjamin because he's the only guy in Buffalo at the beginning of the yeah. season. So like that, it's kind of that similar scenario. And but you know, with those examples in mind, it's like. No, I think Will Fuller's the better player is going to probably have the bigger games for your team. I think, I mean, so there are a couple of things. And the Calvin Benjamin thing is what sparked this whole idea and conversation. Yeah. Because I I was just like, well, again, I all this stuff I heard was he's the number one receiver in Buffalo. And someone's got to catch passes, so he's going to have... A decent floor, and I took him with like an eighth round pick, so it's right, not like right. I invested a ton into him. It's not like you torpedoed your team like I did. Yeah, but I I easily could have taken Will Fuller at that spot instead last year, mm-hmm. which even though he didn't play as many games, probably still scored more points than Calvin Benjamin yeah, did like over game. the course of the season. So I another big factor in this Shepard versus Fuller debate is the quarterback that's throwing it to him, and yeah. I believe much more in Deshaun Watson and his ability to throw 40 touchdowns with 10 of them going to Will Fuller than I believe in Eli Manning or Daniel Jones combining for 20 touchdowns over the course of the season. Again, we don't totally know that Shepard is the number one guy. I mean, it's just sort of assumed because he's been on the team the longest. They got rid of Odell Beckham. He was the guy behind them. But I think he's he's also going to be competing with Evan Ingram for targets Golden Tate and him play very similar roles in the offense, yeah. and that offense just plain stinks. So I'm definitely going with Will Fuller in this scenario as well. Yeah, this is just an aside, but Shepard um, has had some good games, but maybe, you know, Pat Shermer, he's no slouch. I think that maybe he'll... What if he game plans something similar to the like what the Eagles offense is, and then you find that like Evan Ingram becomes that number one pass catcher. So then that's another like guy to think about as taking away opportunity from those Giants right. wide receivers. So um, just a hypothetical. Uh, but we want to get into now our players to highlight. So we will come back to Corey Davis. I think that's like, going to be an interesting conversation. But let's start with uh, a couple more of the higher profile guys, as we mentioned. You might want to target some high-profile stud-wide receivers in the early rounds. And the first one you want to talk about uh, could be high-profile, like really (laughs) high-profile, or he could bust like he has in the past. I mean, he's high-profile just because he's in Dallas, and that's Amari Cooper. And I have no idea what the hell to do with him. In certain instances, I want to target him if I, again, depending on the way the draft works, but... In other instances, he's still been wildly inconsistent. He has been the poster boy for inconsistency over the past several years since the start of his career. But there are a couple things in his favor. Obviously, I mean, Dak, he had Des Bryant in his first season, but I don't think Dak's really ever had a truly dominant wide receiver one. I think 
Amari Cooper can be that guy. He finished mm-hmm. as the number eight wide receiver while he was with the Cowboys. And he obviously he did that with a couple big games buoyed by the touchdowns that he had in those games. And he averaged eight and a half targets a game, which could help his consistency if he's, again, consistently getting between eight to yeah. ten targets a game. I think they'll throw it to Zeke a little less this season as well, which might point a couple of targets towards Cooper. Dak's passer rating when targeting Cooper was 127.5, which is best for 10th in the league since 2006. So again, I think Dak's going to want to target Cooper knowing that he actually has a dominant guy to throw it to and be able to make plays in the field. Yeah, I think that you know when you think about Cooper, there are some intangibles there that we don't have the full picture of just yet and that's what i wanted to bring up like with when we're talking about like a wide receiver one on a team versus a two on a team you got to bring in as many factors as you can and understand that complete situation as much as possible because for me one some of the things i think of is you know it seems like cooper is a lot more bought in in dallas than he is or ever was at oakland uh, he mentioned on PFT Live recently that he wants to get over 2,000 yards receiving. Yeah, so I wouldn't expect that. I wouldn't expect that at all. But if you have ambitious goals, Mike Florio literally said this, like if you have ambitious goals, you have a good chance of achieving somewhere close or like a portion of those goals. So I think that that's positive, especially, you know, I've heard a lot from that podcast as well. There's that radio show is like Dak Prescott has a lot more leadership qualities that can help drive a team to win games and be successful uh, more than you know whatever they were doing in Oakland. So uh, <laughs> I I like him, but I do have those kind of worries that you do in that like okay I might take him in the third round as especially especially if he's my third wide receiver because I'm going I'm going for like a home run right. pick that's going to be in like my flex most weeks. But if he was like my number one wide receiver or my number two, I might pick someone who I'm a little more like grounded in, like an AJ Green or yeah. an Adam Thielen. So I'm gonna go to someone that has a- another target and bring it back to Corey Davis right away, just so we don't forget about him, uh, because he is he he's definitely different from Amari Cooper. I think Amari Cooper had more like better stats in his early years than Corey Davis has. Sure. And part of that. So you could say like, even though Oakland hasn't been great for Cooper or wasn't great for him, it's a lot better than what Tennessee has been for Davis. Now Davis was injured in his rookie year. Last year was kind of hit and miss. There are some games he dominated others that he didn't. And now he's going to be in his third year. So you've ever heard the third year breakout for wide receivers. That's one thing to say, you know, it's about a, a, the same as like a 12 seed being a 5 seed in the, <laughs> in, in the NCAA tournament. Um, but I think there is that opportunity there just as long as like Mariota can stay healthy. Because we've seen Marcus Mariota be able to have 30-point games as a quarterback as well. I, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm biased from being a Titans fan as well. And I just think it, part of it's the value. So if you have an opportunity to get a guy who's an alpha and could become like – even in a bad in a bad or a lower volume passing offense, being the number one wide receiver could make him a number two wide receiver on your fantasy team. So, like, I'm not saying he's going to jump into the top twelve of wide receivers, but the talent is truly there, and he has the pedigree from the from the NFL draft. So we know he has the opportunity. It's just 
can he seize it in a Titans offense? And can Marcus Mariota get him there? Yeah, the things again. I guess he's got he's got a couple things going for him, and and most assuredly Mariota's health is a big part. Even though he hasn't been the most prolific passer over the past several years, but I think again when a lot of what we're talking about is in the context of draft capital and what you're putting into the, these guys and what you could actually be getting in return. So I think you know the fact that you're putting such a low cost into drafting Corey Davis at this point. It's not a fifth or sixth round pick anymore. It's eighth, ninth round where, mm-hmm. again, you, I think, again, this is one of the guys who's, he's been the number one wide receiver. It's not like that's really changed. And again, I, I mentioned earlier that he hasn't produced in that role, but it's not like Calvin Benjamin last year where he came in as the number one wide receiver. He. Corey Davis has been in that role for a while, so hopefully he can use what he's learned and be able to excel in his third year. I mean, he's shown some flashes, and his he's consistently gotten a huge target share percentage-wise mm-hmm. on the Titans. It's just the volume that the Titans are throwing yeah. is just not high, so it's it's a little bit of you know looking at the entire picture there. So. I think you're you're in the right area in again in terms of the value you could be getting for Corey Davis. Yeah, ultimately I think the big reason to target him is just because he more likely than other players in that range are guys that can, you know, make the difference in being a playoff team or a championship winning team. Um so yeah, we'll we'll have to see how his draft stock changes over time. If it gets shot up for this reason that he's like a more obvious sleeper, then maybe we're gonna fade him. But uh, let's move on to someone who we know is more consistent, and we just know that for a fact. And that's with your one guy that you want to target, and I would be excited to have as well in Brandon Cooks. Yeah, I so the Rams wide receivers will obviously have a ton of debate this off season. Who's the best one? Who's the best value? All that sort of stuff, but. Brandon Cooks is probably the last guy in my rankings. I've got him at 13th overall. So he's probably one of the last guys that I would be comfortable having as my wide receiver one if I went running back heavy early on. I just think, you know, the fact that he hasn't gotten a ton of respect. There have been two players in the NFL over the past four seasons that have had 65 catches, 1,000 yards, and five touchdowns in all of those seasons. That's been Antonio Brown and Brandon Cooks. Now, Brown has had, obviously, a lot higher ceiling while meeting those marks, but the fact that Cooks has been able to do that while on three different teams Mm -hmm. is outstanding. And the Rams have certainly shown that, you know, they want him there for the long term. He's been Mm -hmm. tossed around like a hot potato, but I believe he's... (laughs) finally found a long-term home and Jared Goff continuing to progress and Sean McVay continually continuing to input his wizardry into this offense I think helps Brandon Cooks tremendously he's one of the best deep ball receivers in the game bar none and I just I would expect him to have another great season I I'm all on board Brandon Cooks I was trying to get him a ton last year because he was getting consistent targets. He was getting 
consistent touchdowns and receiving yards and all that sort of stuff. And he, he has the ability to have those monster games. And especially if Cooper Cup isn't 100% healthy to start yeah. the year, I think he's going to be the number one guy in that offense in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, he's a pick you really can't fuck up. So if you're on the fence about someone else, like you might as well go with the guy that has that and he's gonna could be a major contributor in some of your wins down the road even if he's like you said he's a bigger deep ball receiver so he might have some bo- some bust games along with some boom games yeah but on aggregate he's gonna help you win enough games and you know he i'm hoping that he would have more boom than bust this upcoming year because of the things you said and like working on timing with jared goff so definitely excited for him especially based on where he's getting drafted I want to counter that uh, Brandon Cooks or contrast that with a guy that I'm actually looking to avoid just because he's getting drafted so closely to both Cooks and Cup, and that's Robert Woods. Wow, we're already debating these Rams wide receivers, as I just mentioned. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, you know, it is interesting because that offense last year was so high-powered and could score a lot of points, but you've got only so much opportunity and I know we're going to talk about this a lot over the summer as well as like the idea of there being quote-unquote too many mouths to feed and I took a look at Robert Woods's games from last year and it seemed like it didn't really matter whether Cup was available or not he was being like he was consistent on a game-by-game basis but it like in terms of you know his production at on a career we've seen him have one full season with the Rams and then I think it was 10 games the season before uh, where he was starting to look like he improved now that he was away from Buffalo. So part of me is just wondering, like, at that fourth round average draft position, is he worth the, ca- the draft capital? Is it I- – I almost think that he's going to turn into a pumpkin. Like, he's been really <laughs> – he's been great. Like, everyone has this memory of him being – you know, he was number 10 ranked wide receiver in half PPR last year, I believe. And so his points really speak to him being talented, but I don't know if like, and maybe I just haven't watched enough of him, but nothing jumps off the page for me other than like seeing his consistent scoring. He he's So he's one of those guys where he is consistent, but not at the top level production output you would want. I mean, he's, he's consistently getting around 80 yards a game, which isn't terrible, but it's not great either. So I think... He has the ability to be one of those, again, if you're risk-averse, guys that has a very high floor but isn't going to have the same ceiling as some of these these other guys that we've talked about already. So I think, again, it it depends on the production that you're looking for and what Mm -hmm. you need in a wide receiver. Again, if you've got two high-risk receivers on your team already and just sort of need someone with a solid floor to balance everything out, then Woods is the guy to go. I think, you know, when I, before all this Tyreek Hill stuff, I was, I think, matching Tyreek Hill with Robert Woods was a great strategy because, again, you're going to get these boom games from Tyreek Hill where he's just off the charts, but mm-hmm. in the weeks that he just sort of disappears, Robert Woods will be consistent enough to not totally kill you from your wide receiver position in that week. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a good thing in there about his ceiling. I really think that, you know, based on what he did last season, that that is his ceiling. And so I don't think you can go into it thinking he's going to produce as much as he did before, but there's definitely the floor there. 
Um, I don't know whether the rushing production for Cooks or Woods is replicable or not, but they, they'll have some involvement there. So that's a pluses for them as well compared to some other wide receivers. So I want to talk about a guy that, again, we've mentioned we mentioned earlier in our comparisons of wide receiver ones versus wide receiver twos on their team, and that's Alshon Jeffrey. And he is a major avoid for me. I Yes, he's been consistent on a yearly basis and that's all well and great he's had between like 700 and 800 yards a year he's usually good for four and four to five touchdowns and 60 catches but he hasn't had a full season of 16 games since 2014. now in 2014 i'm just going to give you a little bit of context as to how long ago that was we were just introduced to the guardians of the galaxy Oh my goodness. The song Happy by Pharrell was the number one on the billboards. LaShawn McCoy and Jamal Charles were number one and number <laughs> two drafted players. I mean, they are no longer existent. Not that running backs last a ton anyway, but just sort of shows the time of the NFL that he was last around. And people were also afraid of Ebola. So <laughs> it's, it's just been such a long time. He just doesn't have that high of a ceiling anymore. And with all of the budding targets in Philadelphia, with Zach Ertz continually being the number one target, Dallas Goddard, Goddard, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Deshaun Jackson is now back, Nelson Aguilar, again, who doesn't Deshaun Jackson, a real budding target in Philly. (laughs) I mean, well, well, for Philly. I mean, he wasn't on the team last year. So these are all guys that he's going to be competing with more. And... That on top of the injury history, I just don't. I have no incentive to. Yeah, he's invest almost like to, to call back another person that was mentioned earlier in this episode. He <laughs> almost seems like a Des Bryant at this point, where he's just like, yeah, getting older. Like, yeah, he's he's got some talent, but not as reliable as a fantasy option. I agree. So I've got one more here, and I think it just goes in this avoid goes into a larger point that we were addressing early on in the episode with our wide receiver strategy. And this avoid for me is Nikhil Harry of the New England Patriots. Ultimately, like in your first year of drafting someone or uh, drafting a wide receiver, your first year in the NFL, rookie wide receivers have a hard time making an immediate impact. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and probably, you know, if I could even recall guys in the rookie years, Randy Moss, maybe other guys like that. Those are special, special, like elite talents that are going to immediately make an impact. I don't know enough about Harry, to be honest. Sam, maybe you can fill me in about his pedigree to say like, maybe he is worth drafting in the single digit rounds. But for me, I don't see it as worth it. I think that there's a lot of other target or wide receivers you can target in that same range that are in their second or third, fourth year that have a chance of breaking out. And it, it, it just goes back to that point of like, I would rather get the guys that I know are going to produce and are going to get targeted as opposed to taking a shot on a guy that is just getting acclimated with the offense and might not actually be productive until say like game five or game six, because in a redraft league, you draft this guy He's not doing anything in the first couple of weeks. Oh, there's someone else on the waiver wire that looks sexy. You're going to end up dropping the guy that hasn't done anything for you yet. Yep. Another reason you shouldn't listen to this podcast is I dropped Nick <laughs> Chubb after like week three last year. I wasn't going to bring that up. 
I know they. We need all the cards on the table. I guess I'd feel bad if I wasn't completely truthful with you guys. But <laughs> believe it or not, I do have a championship, and Sam doesn't, despite all of his playoff. Well, not not in our league. Well, that other league was with your dad, wasn't it? So no, I have a championship in another league as well, one that we've played together in. Oh wait, was this the one with our friends like Katie and Kyle? Yeah. Okay. Well, that league lasted one year. Probably because Sam won and no one else wanted him to win. But, okay, fair enough. We each have at least one championship that can't be debated. Uh, and no no official sackos. But anyway, anyway. Well, I guess exactly. my, my point is being less risk-averse has been how I've had any success in fantasy football. And so I want to stick with that strategy more often. That means getting guys that... I really like at the wide receiver position and that I also enjoy just watching. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I mean, back to Nikhil Hare, the actual player in question, is there anything that I am missing in terms of being excited about him other than like, maybe he's the next like wide receiver one for the Patriots? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a lot of the hype and it's, I mean, it's the fact that the Patriots haven't used a first round draft pick on a wide receiver in over a decade so there's sort of this ambiguity of like well they invested so much in him and they never do that for this position so that's got to mean something for him but maybe the fact that they never do it is because again they know these guys take a little bit of time to develop it takes a lot of time to build a relationship with Tom Brady and gain his trust I guess my question are for you is are there are there any rookie wide receivers that you'd be comfortable drafting again? Because we we hear the narratives of they break out in the second half, they're not worth drafting because they just don't provide a lot of value yeah. on draft day. But if if is there any one guy that you might be targeting? Yeah, I mean it's tough just because I can't imagine of getting any of them unless it's like in the double digit rounds because then I'm safe just that's when you are making dart throws just at anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there was one off the top of my head I'd go with over the other rookies, it would probably be DK Metcalf. And that's because I just see, like, obviously he has the crazy athleticism. There are some concerns about his agility, but I, I read, like, a camp report that was showing he was having some good routes run. Then I saw one highlight of him running an awful route, and so... There, that's still definitely up in the air, and especially when you're in a game, timing is important. However, I know that Russell Wilson is one of the best deep ball passers in the NFL, and he's really efficient in that regard. So I think that could allow for some big boom games for Metcalf. And the tough part will be like, oh, you don't know when those are going to happen, really. <laughs> um, but any guy that I'm drafting at that point, I'm not expecting to start anyway because I want to start the guys that I drafted in the early rounds in the middle in the middle of the right. draft. So I, I feel like he would be the guy that's like, okay, he could get 10 touchdowns this season, which means yeah. he's a good bet to get a touchdown any week that I play him. Or like a 50-yard reception, but he doesn't break the plane, you know? No, that's fair. So the last guy that I want to talk about, and bef- before I talk about him, I, I do stand corrected. Alshon Jeffrey did start all 16 games in 2017. He just did not record any stats in one of those weeks, which is why I thought he missed a game. But again, he he's barely played full 16 games in his entire career. So again, he's just got a lot of injury risk going into him. But 
I digress. I, the last guy that I'm targeting is a guy who was a rookie last year who mm-hmm. is Christian Kirk. And he is, I think, has the potential to be the number one wide receiver on the Cardinals this year. There's going to be a lot of speculation as to how this air raid offense will pan out in the season. And over the course of last season, his stats don't look great at all. He he showed promise as a deep threat, finishing with 227 receiving yards and a catch rate of 60% on targets of 20 plus yards down the field. So he's got the ability to make, again, sort of the down the field catches that you're talking about with Metcalf. And I just think with the possibility that this offense could be totally explosive and he could be the top guy in the slot yeah. overtaking Larry Fitzgerald this year. I just think he's got a lot of p- potential to be a huge breakout and provide immense value in the later rounds where you're taking him. Yeah, this is the thing with the Arizona offense that everyone's hyped up on. If you're going to take a shot on this, you might as well reach on like a guy who's getting drafted later like a Christian Kirk then invest your first round pick in David Johnson or like a ninth round pick in a Kyler Murray for me at least I think that Christian Kirk would be the one guy I would start to um like target or if we don't think he's going to be the number one or if you don't think he's going to be the number one use instead of targeting the DK Metcalf target Hakeem Butler or Andy Isabella those are some other wide receivers that could make a quick impact in this air raid offense since that's a more like driven from the college game right um but i I, so i do like where you're at with targeting christian kirk the the last thing i want to bring up with him is just the idea of having him on your team in a half ppr league as a rookie it would be very quick for you to drop him because the first four weeks he didn't have a reception that might have been because of injury i'm not sure Uh, but he didn't record any stats and Oh, no, that was the last four weeks of the year. Sorry, I was looking at this <laughs> in the reverse. So he had one reception for four yards in week one, so 0.9 points, 4.7 points in week two. He gets 12.5 points in week three, so it looks promising. Then he goes down to 5.5, 16.5, 10.7, that looks good. 7.2, eh, 11.7, that's better. 1.8, eh. So it's like, it, it's really hard to trust this rookie in his first season that's that's kind of the way that i saw his story of ownership in fantasy leagues go last year like yeah people i mean dropped he, him too soon then try to pick him up drop him again just because i think it's there's less known of like how he's going to be used in the game because he's a rookie yeah i mean again he i just almost totally throw out the entire 2018 season for the cardinals because they were so god-awful and the fact that he does have a year of experience in the NFL, whether it was good or bad experience for him, it was experience nonetheless. And Yeah, yeah, I agree. Larry Fitzgerald is a year older. I mean, I, I just think he, he has shown enough in his talent and having a couple of decent games last year to show the potential if this offense mm-hmm. totally does a 180 and goes into another stratosphere like a lot of people. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I was just using his rookie season as a use case for drafting in Nikhil Harry or any other rookie wide receivers. Like, is that level of production, are you willing to put that into your starting lineup on a week-to-week basis? For me, it's not 
the type of risk that I like to take in in that area, unless you like you know you know all of the wide receiver cornerback matchups for <laughs> the week, and you and you're gonna play the matchups, then then you can get away with that maybe. But just my soapbox on rookie wide receivers. So fair enough. All right, that's all we have for wide receivers. We look forward to doing more weekly episodes for you guys. So obviously this is the end of our initial pack that we're releasing and we're going to be sharing that out on at pod after TD, our Twitter account. You can sound off to us on at Andrew Mackins on Twitter and at Sam Hoppin on Twitter as well. And we'll be sharing these out as well. We'll share the weekly updates on other episodes we're going to be doing in the off season and then our weekly episode during the uh, you know the preseason and the regular season as well. So look forward to that. Uh, excited to continue building this with you guys and hope you enjoy it. And the kick is good. Le ha sobrado distancia, le van a servir. Tiene altura, tiene profundidad, va a llegar. Va a llegar. Ganó, ganó, ganó.